Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Kath. Tobes. I have to admit something to you. Okay. I have never been camping. Toben, you're missing out. I know, I know. My siblings almost convinced me to go once, but then they lost me when they were like, the first shower you take when you get back from camping is amazing. And I'm like, (laughs) that's not a reason to go. Okay, but also the first few showers after I come back from Burning Man is amazing. Oh my God. I quit. I quit. I quit. (laughs) I quit. From WNYC Studios, you're listening to Nancy with your hosts, Tobin Lowe and Kathy Too. Okay, so. A couple years ago, I went to this thing called A-Camp. It's a week-long camp for queer women and trans folks, and it had your typical camp stuff with a very queer twist. On paper, A-Camp was Kid Kathy's dream come true. I grew up always wanting to go to camp. But the reality of it was I was very terrified. Going somewhere new where I didn't have any friends and it being my first time in a queer space, I honestly didn't know what to think. But one of the reasons I felt okay about going to A-Camp was because the co-director was one Kristen Russo. Um, We wanted to start by saying, oh my gosh, we're all here in Radcliffe Hall together. I didn't know Kristen that well at that point, but what I did know put me at ease. You know those people in your life who you become immediate friends with because they're just so welcoming and easy to talk to? That's Kristen. And not only that, she is a boss. I am the co-host and producer of Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. And I also have worked for the last decade with LGBTQ communities. Uh, I founded Everyone is Gay and My Kid is Gay. I wrote This is a Book for Parents of Gay Kids. I I do a lot of gay stuff, you know? (laughs) Professional gay. (laughs) Truly, truly a professional gay. I couldn't believe you would be at camp at the same time. Yes. You were there. I was. You were making an episode of this podcast (laughs) when this story that we're about to talk about was happening. But what I didn't know at the time is that Kristen was going through something else entirely. While everyone was making new friends and reuniting with old ones, Kristen was having a miscarriage. Kristen always knew she wanted kids. So my mom has seven sisters. Whoa. Mm-hmm, and it's all girls. Eight girls. No oh boys. Oh, my God. It's crazy. Uh, and they all have kids. So I grew up in an environment where it was just, like, cousins and babies. And, like, I remember, like, pretending to sit down on the couch like a pregnant woman, like, where you, like, have to lean back because of your <laughs> belly, like, as a kid, you know? So it was really in my in my mind and in my experience. But then when I got to my, like, late 20s, um, I struggled with anxiety. And that sort of gave me a little more pause. And um, then and then I did eventually come around to like, yes, I do. Kristen and her wife, Jenny, decided they were ready to start a family in 2015. Was there ever a conversation between you and Jenny about who would carry the child? Yeah. Um, Jenny, out of the gates, was like, I will never carry a child. Mm. So if we're having a kid, guess what? It's Ugh, you. Same. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, how did you, how did you and Jenny decide how you were going to get pregnant? 
So we decided to go with a sperm bank. And then um, there's two kinds of insemination. There's ICI and IUI. Um, ICI is intracervical and IUI is intrauterine. And so ICI is like the kind, like if you ever have seen If These Walls Could Talk To, where, have you seen it? Have you yes. seen it? Okay. Yes. So, so in that um, movie, there's a storyline of two women who are getting pregnant and they're like at home with the sperm. And that's ICI. You can do it at home, essentially. Uh, okay. Like you don't need a doctor. You just get the sperm and you put it inside of your partner's body and yes. you hope for the best, right? Yes. Uh, that's kind of like the, what is it called? Like the turkey baster method? Turkey baster method. Yeah. Although like I think when people say the turkey baster method, they're usually referring to like a known donor with fresh sperm. I see. And not like Interesting. Jurassic Park style dry ice sperm. It's so crazy, Kathy. It's so Wait, where? It's so crazy. Tell me more about that. Like, what do you mean? So the first time that we did this, we like literally, they give you the canister. They're like, here you go. Good luck. And you like know you're supposed to maybe use a syringe, like a little plastic syringe to to suck up the sperm and like warm it. And I had no idea. Like, I didn't understand how much sperm was going to be in the canister or any of that stuff. So we open up this dry ice thing. Jenny has like 14 pairs of gloves on. Like, it's like, a, it was a literal comedy show. Like, it truly was <laughs> ridiculous. We take the thing out. It is like, I can't, it's like an inch, maybe an inch tall, the vial, and mm-hmm. like a teeny tiny millimeter width. It's so small. It looks like, a, it looks like somebody sneezed. Like, it's like, <laughs> The tiniest amount of liquid that any human has ever seen. The syringe that we had for the first try was like a regular like kids oral syringe, you know? Yeah. Way too big because there's so little fluid that like you need a teeny tiny syringe to do it properly. Oh, my God. It would have in the long run, it would have saved us a lot of money to just go to the clinic right out of the gates. Well, that sounds traumatizing. It was such a joke. So then, you know, as we were about to try for the fifth time, we were like, what are we going to do? Because we can't afford to get 10 more vials of sperm. And now we really can't afford to go to a fertility clinic. And so we reexamined our options and like had this moment where this person had come into our life. He had been in our life for a little while. And I don't know why it never crossed either of our minds, but I will never forget we were in our house in California and we had like a little sunken kitchen and I was standing like two steps down and Jenny was standing two steps up and we looked at each other and we were like, oh my God, how did we not think of this? (laughs) This is like the best option ever. And so we sat down and we wrote this long email to our friend and his wife and it was one of the funniest emails I think I've ever written in my whole history of being a human because it's so (laughs) awkward. Can you give me some of the highlights? I mean, I mean, it was basically what you would imagine when you write to someone and their wife and you're like, hello, we would love to have your sperm. We hope this isn't super weird for you, mm-hmm. you know, and, and mm-hmm. we made it like really silly and really funny, but also serious enough where they would know like there's no pressure. You know, you're not like going to destroy us if you say no. It's a really big deal. What have you? Mm-hmm. Um, and then like a week later, they wrote us and they were like, we, we want to do this. We think we're in. And so when we all got back to California, California, we had the most awkward dinner of all time (laughs) where like, you know, we knew them, but we didn't know them well. And suddenly it's like me and Jenny and them and we're sitting at a table and we're like, so this is how it will work. Like, you can come over and like go in that room and like jerk off into a cup. I forgot that that had to happen. (laughs) (laughs) That's how you get the sperm, Kathy. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, when you're queer, you got to consider everybody. It's a thing that we do. Like, it's a thing that you do as, you know, que- queer couples. I think when you get to that place where you're thinking about having kids, you consider who do I know? Mm-hmm. What do I, you know, if I'm going to use a sperm bank, do I want to do an anonymous donor? Do I want to do an open donor? Like, right. there's so many choices. And I think that having trying to start a family was really the first time that I felt as queer as I was, right? Because there was no way for me to feel normal about the process. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. No matter what route we chose, it felt bizarre and weird. And Jenny and I couldn't create a baby together. And those were like the cold, hard facts. And I remember a lot of my aunts are really conservative. And funnily enough, my most conservative aunt of all of my aunts once said to me, because we were talking, this was like even before I knew I wanted to do this process. Mm-hmm. She said to me, you know, I understand that it might be difficult for the, these reasons that you, you know, feel like you can't make a baby together. But also she was like, but when my first daughter was born, I realized like it wasn't half me and half my husband. Like she was her own person. And, mm. you know, and, I, and that really stuck with me. It's still with me because it rang so true. It's like you imagine this like half and half like combo deal. But at the end of the day, like a baby is a, a human, uh, its own human. And that like our human would be, you know, parts of us for various reasons. Um, So uh, that was helpful for me. So January, you started trying. Yeah. So we had been trying for about six months in 2016 Mm -hmm. um, with the frozen stuff. And then January of 2017, we started with the fresh stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I, I remember, like, I was in our bathroom and I had a pregnancy test And I didn't think I was pregnant. You know, we're on, out of the history of it, we're on, like, maybe try 10 for me. Yeah. So I was so used to being, like, pregnancy test, negative. Or Mm -hmm. not even, a lot of times I didn't take a pregnancy test. I would just get my period and be like, didn't work, you know. Mm. So I had therapy. Jenny was in her studio. Before I ran out the door to therapy, I was like, let me just take a pregnancy test. So I peed on the stick And I sat in the thing, and I was, like, really impatient, not, like, hopeful, not excited, just like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, I got to go. Right. And then I looked down, and it said pregnant. It was as though I had not been putting sperm inside of my body for, you know, almost a year. Like, I was like, how did this happen? (laughs) Like, oh, my God. Like, it was like we had done all of this and prepared and whatever, but, you know, I don't think anything can prepare you for that of, like, holy shit, it worked. Coming up, we go back to A-Camp, where Kristen's story continues. Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I hope to open the conversation about working parents a bit. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier, to find out how they balance being a dad with a successful career. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back. It's 2017. Kristen took that pregnancy test in March. And in May, she headed to Wisconsin to co-direct a camp. 
I was about seven and a half weeks when I got on the plane to fly out uh, to co-direct camp. And I landed into Wisconsin. And when I landed into Wisconsin, I, I started spotting. And I just thought, like, this is a bummer for timing, right? Because spotting is super normal in your first trimester. Uh-huh. I knew that because I had Googled it 77 times. You know, like, it was totally normal. Everything was fine. Everything was fine. But I was just like, damn, I wish that this had happened, like, before I got on a plane or before I had any reasons to, like, think maybe something was going wrong. Mm. So then the spotting started picking up and I started feeling like maybe something was wrong. And I was lucky enough. A camp was such a crazy place to be for this whole experience. I was lucky enough to have an OBGYN on my staff. So I called her and she came over, you know, at a camp, you kind of all live in little houses near each other. And she came over to mine and I was like, hey, you know, I'm pregnant and I'm spotting. And she's like, okay, that's normal, but tell me more. She got some more details from me. Um, We had a preliminary conversation. And then I think the next day um, I I started to see red. And like red is not a color you should see as a pregnant person. Spotting brown is fine, you know. (gasps) But as soon as I saw red, I was like, something's bad and something is definitely wrong. And she came back over and she was like, it does sound like you're having a miscarriage. Was she the first one to say miscarriage or would you already have it in your head? I had it in my head. I mean, I had, but since the moment I started spotting, I was like, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. And the the day that I actually knew I was having a miscarriage was the first day that all of the campers arrived. So it was like, we went from 60 people on that campsite to 400 people at the moment that I was like, holy shit, I'm having a miscarriage. And um, I looked up the hospitals. So I was like, all right, I'll wait until I think Saturday morning and I'll go. And at this point, it was Friday. And Friday night, I went to the event. It was like, B. Steadwell was singing. And I was sitting in the audience and my cramps went from mild to like really intense very quickly. And I was sitting in the audience in that theater in Wisconsin and I just looked at Jenny and I was like, we gotta go now. And I think we eventually got on the road at like midnight and we drove the two hours or so to the Madison ER. Um, But I had the miscarriage in the van on the way over. Like everything passed and then we got to the ER. Did you feel like you were processing what was happening in the moment? It wasn't until we left the hospital at about 6 in the morning and we got a hotel room for a few hours because we just, like, had to sleep before we went back to camp to P.S. tape an episode of Buffering the Vampire Slayer live in front of, like, 200 people. Um, So we got a hotel room and there was, like, you know, 10 minutes or 20 minutes or so where I remember being, like, in the hotel bed, both of us just sobbing, you know, and then making a joke and falling asleep and getting in the car and driving back to the campsite, taking a shower, walking to the theater, and starting the taping from, of Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Today, nobody panic, I'm fine. But to prepare for this live taping, I decided to get ill yesterday and go to the emergency room where I was last night. Listen. Was there ever a point, like maybe on the car ride back, when you're like, maybe we just need to cancel this? Cancel the the show? Yeah. No, I mean, I think we, of course, I'm sure we said, like, should we do this thing? And it, and I think Jenny looked to me um, to make that decision, you know, like, do you feel you can? And I was like, I do. I want to. Like, I want it. I don't want to. What am I going to do? It was like between that or like sitting in a room, staring at a wall, thinking about the loss. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that didn't seem like a viable option. And camp went on. I saw Kristen in the dining hall greeting people, talking to her staffers who needed help, and making announcements on the bullhorn. Can you hear me talking? Wave your arms if you can hear me talking. Yes, you can. Okay, great. 
And she says having her community there was really great, actually. But when it was over, she flew home, back to the world. So much of my experience after the miscarriage was looking for articles and looking for things to read and trying to find, you know, any mirror for my experience. And I found nothing. You know, as a queer person, I think you have to translate a lot, right? That, like, you're reading something and it's talking about your boyfriend and you're like, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to, like, flip that or I'm not going to read this or whatever. But when you have gone through something traumatic, and in this case it was the miscarriage, I had to read articles about what to expect. You know, I needed those to, like, anchor me and I had to do those translations where it was like, your husband might be feeling this, your husband might be doing that, and it just felt like an extra special slice to my heart to have to do that translation in that moment of pain that like I just so desperately wanted to see myself reflected in the experience um, and not, not to feel so isolated, which is a big part of why I'm talking about it now. I wrote a piece about it for Autostraddle. Mm-hmm. Um, this, the experience of miscarriage is very common, which of course means that it's also very common in queer community. Do you feel like your relationship to your body changed at all? Oh, my God. Completely. Yeah. And and not just related to the miscarriage. The experience of going through fertility is such a massive thing for a person and their body. You know, I remember I had this, like, pulling feeling on the left side of my, um, like, abdomen, which I I guess wound up being my uterus, Mm -hmm. um, throughout the pregnancy. and. When I got the sonogram, I told the woman who was giving me a sonogram, I was like, you know, I felt this pulling. Do you think that that had anything to do with the miscarriage, with the loss? And she was like, it didn't. That feeling of pulling, though, where you're pointing to, that's exactly where the embryo implanted. Like, I could feel it, you know, which is – it's just like your sense of, like, your own perception of feeling and the the depth of that feeling and the way that your body is aware of itself is is really – different after an experience like that. Wow. Did you and Jenny want to try again after? Yeah, I wanted to like try right away, right away, right away. It was like something emotionally that I was going through. Um, And we tried maybe two more times or three more times and it didn't work. And that's when we said to our sperm donor, let's get your sperm tested. And we did that and the results came back and they were like, we don't even know how you got pregnant the first time. Um, And so, yeah, we went on a whole journey. Like, we had me doing acupuncture and him doing acupuncture, but we also were starting to make a little money from buffering. So we were like, we're going to start going to a fertility clinic. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were about to uh, use a sperm bank again and get a different donor, a different bank, and go to the fertility clinic. The doctor was like, you're probably going to get pregnant right away. Mm -hmm. And then my marriage fell apart. Wow. So the miscarriage happened in May, and um, Jenny told me that she was leaving the marriage in February. Oh, my God. So it went from not being in a great place to learning that everything I knew about my life was no longer true, mm-hmm. um, which is traumatizing. You know, I, I definitely did a, a complete flip um, in terms of, like, having any capacity to understand what was happening And also the entire time still running a podcast with Jenny. I look back on it and I'm like, how did we possibly do that? I don't know. I don't know how we did it, but we did. Um, How are you you doing now? 
You know, I'm like a person, I think, for the first time. You know, in the beginning, it was hard all the time. In the middle, it was hard often. And now I'm feeling good, but then I'll forget and I'll trip over a rock. And I'm like, oh, right. I still have this like massive amount of trauma and pain that is there and that will be that will be there forever right it'll just like I'll interact with it differently as time goes by and it's okay like we recover from that trauma we can heal from that trauma but it's so much easier to heal when we have a community and I think that there's a pretty small community right now um, at least that I saw and I want to make that community bigger I want to be able to talk about not only miscarriage but fertility um, as a queer woman mm. more because, man, my I can't tell you the amount of queer women I've talked to since who are like, I'm going to try to start having a baby. Do you have any tips? I'm like, boy, do I. <laughs> I've got an encyclopedia of tips for you that I wish I had had, you know, going into the whole thing. Yeah. Well, I've looked up to you and admired you for many years before we even, like, talked for the first time. <laughs> um And so I'm just really grateful that you're doing this because it's a difficult thing to talk about when we personally go through trauma. And I feel like for women, the message seems to be that we should be shameful that our body wasn't able to carry a child to term to give birth. And more people need to talk about the things that just happen. It just happens. It's, it's, you know, it is. It's looked at like a failure. And as an individual, you feel like a failure that your body couldn't do it. But... I remember going to see um, a midwife really early in the process, and um, she said to me, you know, Kristen, the thing you have to remember is that getting pregnant is 100% science and 100% magic. And I was like, that's 200. She was like, that's the point. That the whole point is that it's 100% (laughs) and also 100 that you can't isolate it to. You can't, you know, even when you go to a fertility clinic and you have the best doctors in the world, sometimes they're like, I don't understand why this isn't working. Or like, I don't understand how that worked. Like my pregnancy. They were like, definitely, I don't know how you did that, but good good job. Like, <laughs> it's, it's a thing that is unpredictable and is as magical as it is scientific. And, yeah. you know, we grow up learning, like, use condoms if you're going to have sex with a boy. Like, y- you can get pregnant at any, at the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really a, a, an awakening when you're like, I've been just dumping sperm inside of my body. <laughs> what? You know, yeah. it's, it's really, um, it's really something that I think needs a much bigger, more expansive understanding. But that's the case with anything having to do with women's health. We don't talk about it. That's so true. And we need to. We need to. <laughs> yes. Right, that is our show. Credits time. Our producer, Zakia Gibbons. Production fellow, Tammy Fagbenley. Sound designer, Jeremy Bloom. Editor, Stephanie Joyce. Executive producer, Paula Schumann. I'm Kathy Tu. I'm Tobin Lowe. And Nancy is a production of WNYC Studios. Side note, I have once screened Tobin to be a possible donor. But he didn't know about it, so he was very upset. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. You screened Tobin, but he didn't know about it? Like, in my own mind. Oh, I see. I considered him, and then also his boyfriend. I like that that Tobin—I like that you were mad, Tobin, that Kathy had thought about it without telling you. (laughs) 